Eric, uh, it's a huge honor to have you on Outlier Investors. Thank you so much for making time and for joining me. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So, you know, to start, because uh, I want to spend most of this, uh, most of our interview together, most of our time together going through a bunch of rabbit holes, because I think philosophically, there's a bunch of stuff I find fascinating about the firm that you're building, Contrary. Um, but, you know, I want to start by just providing people a quick sketch of what Quant Contrary is. Can you just quickly describe what you're building and why it's important? Yeah, absolutely. So, Really, I think it, it all starts with actually my, my, my own personal journey. Um, and, and so it's kind of, kind of you know, interesting one. So I'll, I'll kind of weave, weave those together. So for me, grew up in New Jersey, school in Boston, really kind of found my interest in tech and, and, and startups more broadly while I was there. So, so worked in a payments you know, company in school. And then you know, a few years after that, moved out to San Francisco, was an early employee at a, at a startup that ultimately got bought by Lyft. Uh, but you know, knew that I wanted to build another company after that, and, and it kept coming back to this idea that had been in the back of my mind for several years. This idea, really, that the next generation of venture was going to be focused not on the company but on the person. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time actually while I was in, in school around a lot of people who I thought were super talented, you know, ambitious, entrepreneurial. Like in, in my mind, it was it was you know obvious that these are people that were going to go out and do incredible things, right? And, 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 and when you fast forward a decade or so to today, that's largely happened. Uh, you know, I mean, these are people like Delian at, at Founders Fund, right? Uh, you know, and, and this, this, I don't know if you know um, or know of, uh, like Nasir Yassin, who started Nas Daily, uh, which is like one of the very large kind of Facebook influencers, right? Like, these, these were my friends, right? And, and we were all like in college in Boston together at the same time, right? And, and, and so that was kind of the initial seed for, for the idea was, you know, again, going back to our, 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 our kind of other conversation, it, the thesis was that it was easy or doable to identify exceptional talent early in their journeys. But, but it was really interesting to me that for the most part, you know, people's paths to success were just this random walk of life, right? Yeah, sure. Inevitably, you know, Delian or Nasari, whomever, you know, they became successful, right? But you know, it just kind of, they kind of made it happen, right? Uh, I started thinking, okay, well, that's really interesting. I feel like there's an opportunity here to build one of the best venture firms of our generation off of that insight of the person before the idea, right? And so we started saying, okay, well, you know, what if you could actually systematically identify the brightest people in the world first? And kind of first for us, meaning, you know, at any point in, in your journey prior to you starting your first company, uh, and then what if you could actually build this infrastructure that allowed us to relentlessly support these people for their entire journey, right? So you could help them find jobs at hypergrowth startups. When, when it came time for them to start that first company, you could write them their first check and be their first true believer. All the way through, you know, 10, 15 years down the line, you know, they, they have some liquidity, they become a, you know, an LP, a co-investor alongside us and a mentor for the next generation of folks. And so if you did this the right way, you'd have massively unfair access to, to hundreds of the brightest people in tech for their entire careers, right? And, and so that really was kind of the, the, the inception of, of the idea was, was kind of back in, in, in the college days. And, you know, obviously didn't, didn't work on it at the time, was working on a startup and just swung back around to it. And, and maybe this was three or four years after I'd first had that original idea and, and nobody was doing it. And, and so I said, okay, well, you know, fully convinced that this will exist you know, let's jump right in and, and, and give it a shot. And, and the rest is history. So here we are. <laughs> I love it. 
You know, I was uh, one of the things that came to mind just preparing for this, because um, I spent a lot of time thinking about what might be most interesting to cover, is, um, you know, I think a lot of VCs believe that venture is getting earlier and earlier and earlier, which, you know, has meant, okay, we, we were now used to be a growth investor. Now we also have a seed stage fund. Everyone's making seed stage move. But, you know, you came to a very different conclusion, which is that, okay, but it's not has nothing to do with just going to seed or being a seed focused fund. We actually have to go to the people. It seems like a very different conclusion. You know, do you think that you just have a fundamentally different view than people that kind of view it as more of an investing framework? I do. Yeah, I, I think at, at the end of the day, I mean, you, you kind of nailed it. You, you said, look, you know, the way most VCs look at venture, no matter what they say or what they put on their website or, <laughs> or whatever, right, is it a transaction, right? They are in the business of doing deals, right? And so, sure, like you said, they have their seed fund or whatever it might be, right? But, but, but ultimately, it is point in time, they're waiting for somebody to put their hand in the air and say, hey, I'm raising money for my startup. Right. And then and then they look at it, they analyze the deal, they meet with the founder, they, you know, try to win the deal. Maybe they win it, maybe they don't. And and then they move on and you're a part of their portfolio and that's it. Right. And that's how they operate. Is it's a it's a deal, it's a transaction, it's a financier at the end of the day, right? Whereas I think what what we said is, is no no no, that that's actually totally backwards, right? If 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 you really believe in building a, a deep, kind of authentic, lifelong relationship with someone, you should be willing to go one notch earlier, right? You should be willing to really bet on the person before the idea, and, and you should be able to find them early, help them however they can, actually build meaningful trust and, and, and a relationship and affinity with them. And then, yes, inevitably, much like, you know, Delian or Nasir or whomever, these people will likely go on and do great things. But guess what? By that point, you've already helped them, right? And, 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 and you've already kind of been there and been their first believer in, 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 in many ways. And, and I think for us, that is the way that we think of venture. Is it's not about the deal or the transaction. It's about the person. And if you're really genuine in that intent, it starts earlier than before they kind of put their hand in the air. Yeah. Well, and that's a clear through line. I mean, I've, you know, there's many pieces of writing that you or people on your team have done that have talked about that most, you know, kind of the evolution of venture in some ways was companies that were focused on transactions, you know, just basically company centric transactions. Then there started to be company centric programs. And this is things like Y Combinator and Techstars. And what you guys are focused on is people first communities. And, and I want to talk a little bit about community because, you know, they're hearing you talk about it. It sounds incredibly genuine. And, and yet I know so many VCs that also have communities that I think probably belong in air quotes because it's just a Slack channel with no investment. Talk about your, your kind of philosophy and value use around community and how that shows up in your work? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head again in terms of, you know, I think community has almost become a, 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 a generic word, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because for most people, community is that, you know, put, put 500 people in a Slack group and, and call it a day. I think for us, it's the lifeblood of, of, of what we do, right? And I, I think really, you know, I, I have to tip my cap to YC. You know, I, I think, you know, YC has is maybe the only organization that I know of in the kind of broader venture world that has actually done a good job of, of, of building this kind of true lifelong community, right? You know, I mean, you have YC Alumni Demo Day, you have Meetups, it's a, you know, it's a very, it's a very active community, but that starts with kind of first principles. And there's a reason for that. It goes back to, again, you know, YC is, is helping with day zero style I, 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 I advice and, and company building, right? And so for us, it's, 
it's, it's not too dissimilar, but it's that one notch earlier, right? And so for us, we think about it as, okay, you know, we come across this very talented person. We believe in them. We think they're going to go on and do something great uh, inevitably, right? And so what are the things that we can be doing to help them throughout that journey, right? Well, you know, jobs is an obvious one, right? Uh, for, for people who aren't starting companies, they're likely at a job. And, and if that's the case, you know, the best way that we can help them kind of on that kind of, you know, career learning curve is to help them find a job at a really interesting hyper growth startup, right? Velocity of learning will be very high. They'll get a lot of great exposure. They'll build their own network. And there's a lot of gratitude there. And then it's about surrounding them and building this infrastructure to support whatever they might need at different steps of their journey, right? So, I mean, this is the reason why we just launched Country NYC recently, for example, right? Is we had a lot of the people in, in, in our community who throughout the pandemic, you know, moved to New York, right? And we said, okay, well, historically, we've been a more of an, you know, SF kind of based firm. Um, but there are, there's a lot of people in the Country community who are telling us that they would love nothing more than having a, a, a home or like a place where they can go hang out with, with, with other people that are part of, you know, the, the, their, their tribe, right? Uh, and so it's really obvious for us to have a place there where they can go. And, you know, I, I think very recently, very recently or shortly, they're going to be having like a Thanksgiving dinner, right? Or they're carving pumpkins together or they're, you know, ideating on startup ideas together, right? Like having that, that one-stop shop, I think is super important. And you know, I could list three, four, five, six, seven, eight other things, right? But for us, it's all about finding that person first, building a deep relationship with them, and then giving them whatever we possibly can to support them as they grow throughout that journey. And then understanding that when they inevitably go out and start the company, join the company, whatever, right? We've been there for them all along. We're their first check. We're their first supporter. And it's just an extension of the relationship rather than the beginning of the relationship. Yeah. I mean, I want to call it something and I guess get your thoughts on it that sounds very small, which is, you know, you talked about Contrary NYC. And, and in a in a moment, I want to talk about all the programs you guys have because it's kind of an incredible menu of very different of things. Yeah, um, but, yeah. yeah but, but even, you know, with the way you describe that, things like Thanksgiving dinner or pumpkin carving, these are things that can sound very silly. But in my experience, they are the essence of community where it's just time spent together, almost throwaway trash time. You know, and even talking about YC, it springs to mind that maybe one of the reasons it's different is, you know, they cook meals together, eat meals together, which is another sort of bonding experience. Why are those small moments so important? And why do you guys invest in those? Yeah, they're important because this is actually where authentic relationships are built. Like you said, you're not building a deep lifelong relationship or friendship with somebody at a networking event, right? Or you're not, you know, building a deep lifelong relationship with somebody if like you meet them at a like portfolio company matchmaking event, right? Like it's just, these, these are by definition, transactional. very transactional, professional endeavors, right? Um, and so, I mean, we have people who are, who are living together, they're going to people's weddings, right? They're rock climbing together. And yes, they're also incredibly brilliant technologists who, you know, maybe while they're climbing the rock are talking about, you know, uh, LLMs or, you know, uh, you know, open AI or, you know, the latest advances in, in our, our, our nice new hype of generative AI, right? Whatever it might be, right? Like they're obviously very steeped in, in tech as well, right? But it's a piece of the puzzle, right? And, and more than anything, if you're trying to build a deep relationship with somebody or, or real community, you need to do those things, right? Um, if you need to become friends with somebody at the end of the day, not just colleagues, which is, which is probably how you'd think about it uh, most of these Slack communities. 
right? So Yeah, totally. I mean, in my mind, one way I've always thought about it is that's the only way those sorts of time spent in person is the only way you build deep trust that's the bedrock of the relationship. Because sure, you can you can still be able to help each other out professionally and think very similarly about things, but you don't have that deep trust lock-in and, and you kind of need that, you know. And yeah, it's non-transactional to be able to build that. Exactly. And then those are very durable, right? So I think that's what we found is, is you know, uh, these relationships, friendships, whatever, I mean, you know, they last for a very long time and they take consequently kind of a, a long time to erode, right? Um, and, and so you're able to just keep stacking and stacking and stacking, right? Rather than these kind of point in time types of, of meetings or relationships. And, and it's just, it's a game changer. So, yeah. yeah. I love that analogy. I want to talk about some of the programs and it's maybe a little bit of a difficult task because I don't even know if you'd be able to list them all out. But I mean, when you the reason I, I want to talk a little bit about it is to go one level deeper, because obviously this idea is you're identifying people, you know, very, very, very early. You talked about some of the ways you can help them, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, as uh, obviously as people get money, they can become an LP, you know, they can participate in the fund early on, you can help them find a job. But you guys also have fascinating other programs like a sabbatical program. Talk about some of the stuff we haven't covered that are programs that you have? Yeah, for sure. So I'll talk about a few others. Yeah, so, so um, we have, in no particular order, I'll kind of throw a few out, right? So starting on, on kind of the youngest set of the equation, right? So we have what's called our Venture Partner Program. And so the, our Venture Partner Program is uh, actually, we just announced uh, uh, kind of the, the uh, kind of new cohort of folks earlier today. That was like an hour uh, ago. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know, we do this, we do this once a year. Um, we, we usually add anywhere from 20 to 30 kind of net new, we call them venture partners. Um, and, you know, they're, they're basically, you know, 20 to 30 of kind of the best builders that we can find across you know, some of the top university campuses in, in, in the country. Um, and, you know, these are people who are a combination of kind of really curious or interested in, in, in I'd say, kind of the intersection of tech and venture. Right. So, so, you know, and, and, and they're really going out and they're meeting with super bright, talented peers. Right. And, 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 you know, it's kind of a grassroots effort of kind of, uh, you know, making sure that again, if, if we're trying to, you know, identify exceptional talent as early as we possibly can, this is kind of a really natural uh, piece of the puzzle for us. So, you know, we have everything from our venture partner program, which is, you know, very grassroots kind of starting in college. Right. Um, and then you can think about it as you know, you're getting ready to graduate and maybe we help you find that first job through our talent team, right? And, uh, and then maybe you're, you know, at your first job now, right? And you are like really, you know, angsty. You're like, I don't know why I did this. And, you know, uh, I want to work on side projects at night, right? Uh, and so perhaps then you apply for something like sabbatical, right? Which is, hey, you know, a program that country has where we say, you know, okay, we'll give, you know, a handful of teams, you know, up to a hundred thousand or 200,000, depending on, on, on kind of the year, the cohort, uh, to quit your job and build a company instead. Right. So we're giving you that optionality of kind of like making the jump, right. Everything that we do, right. Whether it's the venture partner program, our fellowship program, the sabbatical program, Contra NYC, you know, being an LT, like all of these things are focused on essentially enabling as many net new founders as we possibly can. Uh, I think it's probably the, the core point here actually, right? It's like, if, if we're saying, hey, we believe in, in identifying exceptionally talented people very early in their journeys, it's then kind of incumbent upon us to build this infrastructure that allows them wherever they are in that journey to kind of find a home through contrary, 
if that makes sense, right? Um, and so, you know, I don't care if you're 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever, it doesn't matter, right? Uh, we'll try to have something for you that allows you to kind of like feel like you found your tribe, right? And you have kind of this group of people that you can now go through the, 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 the journey together with. And, and this translates not only from first check, high conviction, you know, uh, pre-idea support, whatever it may be, But, you know, it's also kind of scales through the entire stack of venture, right? I mean, you look at, I mean, we kind of are a full stack firm, right? We're not only doing first check investing, but this is like why we launched contrary research recently, for example, right? Is, you know, trying to, you know, kind of uh, build an ecosystem and a platform that allows us to support people who are much later in their founding journeys as well, right? So it's it's the whole life cycle is is how we think about it. But yeah, those are another couple uh, of of examples of, of programs that we have, so. Hearing you talk about that, one of the thoughts that bubbled to mind is, um, you know, it would seem like one of the data points you might look for over time, because you have, you know, you're, basically you're assembling this giant interlinked network of high trust individuals that are all, you know, hopefully have deep, m- meaningful relationships with each other, but are also part of, you know, feel at home with contrary and have high trust with contrary. And so something that would seem to materialize over time is that a lot more of your deal flow is internal than probably most VCs, where most VCs, to your point, sure, they have their own, you know, proprietary networks, whatever they want to call it, but it is largely a, I found an interesting deal. I may not have ever met the person. Is that how you think about that? And is that something you track or is that a, a metric with which you think about success, judging success with some of these? So the short answer is, is yes. And I think the short answer is we've been very candid all along. I mean, I, it's been, it's been, you know, this month is five years since our first investment. I don't think there has been a single deal that we've ever done that has been referred to us by another venture fund. I could be wrong. Maybe there are one or two. Maybe one or two data points. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I I don't think so. Um, and, And so I think that speaks to basically what you said, right? Which is everything that we do as a firm is kind of bottoms up, first principle, like we are going to march to the beat of our own drum, right? And we're going to build all of our infrastructure, whether it's our community, our programs, our engineering team, talent team, whatever it is, right? We're going to build that so that we can find who we think are the brightest people first, right? First being the operative word here. And then we can kind of, you know, uh, be their first check, be their largest check and kind of roll, roll from there. So yeah, absolutely. I think, I think if that weren't the case, we would be failing miserably. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I want to jump ahead and, and talk about investing and how you guys approach investing. Because I feel like what we've been talking about so far is one, it, you know, this kind of fascinating overarching meta perspective and, and goal of what you're building at Contrary, which is really, in my mind, it feels like, what are you doing there? You're creating the conditions to just have incredible deal flow, you know, and be able to back incredible founders in a way that they naturally want to work with you. It's less of a sales pitch. So, you know, I'm curious if you can, one, I guess, walk us through a little bit of what your research, like due diligence process looks like. And some of the way I talk about that historically is, you know, if you were to try to think about the way you approach investing as an algorithm, what would the contrary investing algorithm look like? Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Um, So on a very high level, the best way to think about it is that as you go later, we get more and more thematic, right? So pre-seed or seed or first check, whatever you might want to call it, it's all about the person, right? And that, and that sounds 
you know, it's not novel, right? But it's true, right? It's our job at the end of the day, the way we look at it is we say, look, we're trying to find the dozen most exceptional individuals in North America every single year and be their first investor. And I don't care what they're building, right? I don't care if they're building an enterprise SaaS company, a consumer company, you know, computational bio, whatever it might be. If they meet that bar, we will back them full stop. And so that's really been kind of the, the story of the early stage. Now within that, right, we're looking for somebody who's number one, deeply, deeply knowledgeable and sophisticated about the space that they're building in. Number two, somebody who's highly technical, not always, but most of the time, you know, 95% of the time, highly technical. Uh, you know, and, and number three, number four, you know, somebody who's really scrappy and, and really good at sales, right? I think one of the things we've learned over the, over the years is you, I mean, you could be the best, the brightest Stanford computer scientist in the world, right? But if you can't also clearly articulate and tell a compelling story and narrative around why this needs to exist in the world and use that to recruit, you know, uh, great talent, sell to customers, raise capital, you know, whatever it might be, you're, you're dead in the water, right? So, so that's number one. And then I think the later you go, the more thematic we get, right? So if you're talking to some of our colleagues, you know, on, on kind of the, 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 the later stage team, right? So my colleagues, uh, Kyle and Megan, I actually think they're, they're reasonably thematic, right? And, and so, you know, they'll take a look at a space like, you know, FP&A or whatever it might be, right? And by the time you get to series B, series C, there are really only a handful of companies in a given space, you know, at that time. And, and it's our job to pick the company that we think is going to win that space, right? Um, and so it shifts from, yes, the, the, the team, whatever, of course, is still important, right? Um, but the weighting is significantly different than it is at, at, at the early stage. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Are there any, so early, you know, earlier on, it sounds like you're a generalist investor and there's almost no category with which you will say no. Am I getting that right? Do you guys have any default no buckets or is it purely based off the person? That's right. No default buckets. Yeah. Um, we want to find the best people with the best ideas and back them. And, and it's as simple as that. Yeah. And then later stage, just so I'm understanding, you know, it's thematic. Are you, is it still, uh, is it thematic, meaning you guys are picking industries and trends or, and so there are some things you're saying we're not experts in, or we don't want to invest in these spaces. Yeah. We'll pick categories that we're excited about that we're more or less excited about. Right. Um, and then we'll do a deep dive on that category, right. Map it, pick the companies. It's usually two to four, three to five companies in a, in a specific category, you know, that we might think are particularly interesting, you know, we'll, we'll try to talk with them and, and ultimately kind of, you know, find the company that, you know, we have the highest degree of conviction in, right? And so when you think about it at the late stage, you know, it's, it's funny, I mean, we, in general, we're very concentrated as a firm. I think for us, it's a, it's a strongly held belief that, you know, concentration is the only way to generate consistent outperformance over the long haul. Uh, and so whether it's early or late, we're concentrated. And then at the early stage, it's, hey, who are the dozen most exceptional people that we can come across? And at the late stage, it's, hey, who are the, you know, three to five best companies in the world that we can come across in a given year? And then we'll back them full stop. So it's a similar kind of ethos, just a slightly different kind of way of attacking the, the problem. Yeah. Okay. So when you're doing later stage, then, you know, one of the things you talked about doing is these market maps. It sounds eerily similar to one of the things you're doing at Contrary Research. Are those, is there quite a big overlap between those two things? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I definitely think that they all inform one another, right? And so that's, that's part of the reason behind research, right? Is, is saying, look, you know, there's really no one-stop shop 
for interesting, thoughtful analysis on the best later stage private or recently public technology companies. It just, just doesn't exist, right? And it's kind of baffling in that regard, right? I mean, you, 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 when, you, when you think about company X, right? I don't know, Ramp or, or Enderil or whomever, right? It's hard to find any information about, about them, right? I mean, you, you can you know, maybe find a TechCrunch article that, you know, announces their latest round and has a one or two line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You have a, a canned quote from them on TechCrunch. You have the valuation in the round on CrunchBase. But, but what if you actually want to understand what they do, right? There, there, there's, there's nothing. And, and so I think for us, we said, look, not only is this a really good starting point for a lot of our our later stage efforts, and it can serve as a good way to get people up to speed very quickly. But also for the for the for the you know kind of the the, the tech world writ large, there's a huge opportunity here to build something that becomes the de facto, right? Whether you are a you know VC, a hedge fund manager, a journalist, or just like a tech enthusiast, right? You know you can go to research if you're curious about any interesting later stage company and get up to speed on it in 10 to 15 minutes. And there's tremendous value there, I think, for the, for the system if we do it the right way. So, yeah. So I want to kind of walk contrary research back a little bit because one of the things I think is fascinating is, you know, what you've built over time is this system, meaning you have a bunch of different individual programs. They all serve different needs. They clearly all inform one another. It probably generates this wonderful flywheel, you know, that kind of is accelerating one another. And so when you're thinking about something like contrary research, which, you know, I, I'm sure there's two points of view. On one hand, you're very experimental. You approach everything as an experiment. So I'm sure there's always that part of the brain. But on the other hand, I think you're very long-term oriented. And I would guess you don't start anything unless you think it's a good idea and plan to invest in it heavily. And so for something like contrary research, walk me through a little bit. You talked about why to do it. I'm curious internally, was there any deliberation around doing it? What was the discussion about doing? And, and then what is it like when you green light something and say, go? What does that kick off yeah. that process? We generally have tremendous aversion to, you know, debate, discussion, whatever. It's funny. I, I, I think I should caveat that in, 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 in terms of making decisions to green light something or not, right? Uh, obviously, like we, we you know, debate and discuss all the time, but I said the example that, that, I, that I'm thinking of that's top of mind is I, I was talking with a friend recently who was saying that uh, <laughs> there was a, a venture fund that you know, will not be named uh, and they were redoing their, I think it was their website. And it was a plus or minus half a million dollar effort no, that surprise. took like <laughs> two or three years yeah. to go from start to finish. I mean, we did ours in two months tops from start to finish for, I, I don't know how much it cost, but it was, you know, uh, like, like trivial, right? Almost, almost nothing. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I think culturally, like going back to the, the startup mindset, right? Like I, I, I will, if somebody came to me and told us this is going to take two to three years and half a million dollars, like they would be fired, right? That's not like the, the, the kind of culture that, that we ever want to have at country. And so I think that propagates to things like research, right? To kind of bring this back full circle where, you know, it is a, a handful of discussions, right? And we figure out roughly how much this might cost roughly, uh, you know, kind of what the goal is here. And if it fits neatly into, into kind of, like you said, this flywheel that, that, that we're starting to build, and then we do it. 
and we do it well, right? Like everything that we do, we make sure has an incredibly high bar because everything that we do represents contrary, right? Um, and, and I'm not going to put something out there in the world if it doesn't look good or if it's not done well. But ultimately, it's all treated as an experiment, like you said, right? And, and, and you know, if contrary research or any other thing that we do, you know, just wasn't done well or wasn't picking up traction or whatever, like I tell this to the team all the time is, um, nothing is too good to be, to be, to be canceled, right? Nothing is too good to get axed. And, and I really mean that. I think the moment we start kind of, you know, having these like walled off gardens and, and, and things that are kind of like untouchable is the moment that, uh, we kind of stop, uh, uh, kind of like, you know, I think kind of like being a, a real startup. And so, yeah, I think all, all of that is to say, to answer your original question, we move really fast. We make sure that it's in line with kind of our broader North Star. Uh, we have a, a, a very clearly defined set of expectations and the time frame at which we expect it will yield certain results. But if it doesn't show up and if we don't put points on the board, that's it. And, and we move on and that's fine. So and, and that's kind of how we operate. Yeah. I want to ask, you know, a little bit of a double click question, you know, going back to this example, which is hilarious and, and amazing of this, you know, VC firm, uh, is, I was going to say hypothetical, but I'm sure it's a real VC firm that has spent two to three years, half a million. You would know the name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that spent two to three yeah. years, half a million dollars, you know, on this website. Part of that is clearly that's just completely not, you know, philosophically, I think we would both agree. It's just completely not the way to go about that. Uh, so there's that. But I think another, on the other hand, one thing I, I can see that through the lens of is capital allocation. And go, I'm going to go out on a lens here, on a limb here in a second, and ask you a question. But I, you know, I think there are a lot of VCs that might, that overly weight appearance. And I would guess they look at something like their website and say, that's the place that we're going to spend money because man, we don't have much else. If a founder comes to our website and is blown away, maybe they'll take our call, take our check. So, so, you know, maybe that is their framework. And I do think that there are companies, there are companies, there are VC firms that just over-invest in optics. And it seems like you guys are clearly on the other end where maybe that's not a place where you over-invest. So the question, the question behind the question is, you know, if you were to put on your like capital allocation hat, which I'm sure is a hat you, you, you probably put on a lot, how do you think about where you want to be investing the most at contrary and where you want to be investing the least? Yeah. So it's actually a pretty straightforward answer. So for us, we feel very strongly that the only things that will matter in venture a decade from now are technology, talent and community, and distribution, meaning content or whatever, right? And so those are the three pieces of the puzzle where we spend a lot of our time and effort and energy and everything else, it's kind of largely irrelevant in, in, in our mind. Um, and so, uh, you know, yes, I obviously, I think brand is and will continue to be paramount in the venture world, right? It's, it's, a, it's a thing that's very unique to venture and that's not going anywhere. And so, you know, like I said, we're not going to put something out there in the world that, that, that isn't done well, right? But for us, like that's where we spend our, our time. Like those three things, I think for us, that's all that matters. Um, and I think if we do those three things very, very well, you know, we'll, we'll build an incredibly special venture firm. And if we don't, then, then, then we won't, right? And you'll just kind of be a run-of-the-mill venture firm. But um, that's not what we're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. I think you guys yeah. will be okay in that department. I, I want to ask, you know, those three are... I, I, 
they um, they're very unique. They make a lot of sense. But at all, you know, the way you framed that of 10 years from now, I think is pretty significant because, you know, in, in this, you and I talked about this before. One of the pieces I really liked kind of reading to prepare for this was uh, Eric, uh, you know, who, who leads, I think, Leader Stage Investing at Contrary wrote, um, sorry, not Eric, um, Kyle, Kyle, yeah, yeah, Kyle yeah, yeah. Uh, wrote, wrote about his decision for, for coming Contrary. And one of the big conclusions that he came to is he, he basically did this massive kind of interview meeting greed of a bunch of different venture firms to try to understand and get to the bottom of one, where is venture going and who's building the venture firm that's going to be around 50 years from now and actually be significant and important. And his conclusion was that it was contrary. And, you know, I think the thinking there is just very different than most VCs in terms of what you're waiting. So talk a little bit about, and I don't know if it, it makes sense to kind of go back in time, if it makes sense, just talk about from where we are today, how you see venture playing out, but talk about why those things will matter and how you see venture evolving over the next 10 years. Yeah, for sure. Well, so I, I think I'll, I'll start with another kind of uh, anonymized fun anecdote and story, but this comes from another, another, another friend uh, that I have that works at or works at a, again, a top five, top 10, you would know of them kind of venture firm. And, you know, they, they went around one day and they were basically asking the firm, kind of, what do we think our, our differentiation is, right? What, it, like, what, do we, what do we actually do that's unique, right? And nobody could come up with anything. Nobody could come up other than brand, right? And that's not so it. You ask your, yeah, so you, so you ask yourself, Wow. I mean, this is jarring, right? You know, a multi-billion dollar kind of firm, right? And the only thing that they're latching their horse to is brand, right? And yes, I would, I would acknowledge that I, you know, brand is, is the most important thing for a venture firm today, right? I mean, unequivocally, right? You think about the Sequoias or whomever, right? And, 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 and like brand is, is massively important. So I, I don't want to discount that, right? But if you look out 10, 20, 30, whatever years, right, and you ask yourself, okay, what, what do the next generation of, of venture franchises look like? Yes, obviously, brand will continue to be very important. That's, that's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. But you can't rest on the brand laurel alone, right? Uh, and, when you, when, and when you go back kind of generation by generation, right, you know, every single 10 or so years, there are a couple of venture firms that emerge that do things fundamentally differently. And those are the ones that become the next Sequoia, right? You have the, you know, uh, I mean, we can just kind of go back in progression, right? But like over the past decade or so, it was maybe Andreessen. Then five years before that, it was a YC. Then five years before that, it was, you know, the Lightspeed or Benchmarks, right? And you, know, you can kind of keep going back, right? And, 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 and these things kind of happen every five, 10, 15 years, you get firms that approach things differently, right? And so for us, we believe very strongly that those three things that I talked about, right, kind of talent, technology, community, distribution, those will be the things that, that will win and that will kind of, you know, we'll be having this conversation a decade from now. And, and, you know, I think if we're playing our cards the right way, like this model that we are approaching will be one of the most successful in venture. Uh, and, and, and so that's ultimately the bet that we're making, right, is we're making a bet not on the status quo, um, but I think a bet on the future and much in the same way that like a YC, right? 15 years ago, it's just like this model didn't exist, right? They, they invented the model. 
I think we're, we're kind of doing something very similar. So yeah, I love that. I mean, two two thoughts on that. One is, you know, I think part of why differentiation is so important is if you just think about the world like animal species, and you think about every venture firm today, you know, is uh, I don't even know is a uh, I don't know, zebra or something like that. Well, clearly, you don't want to compete by being a slightly different zebra. You want to compete by being something very, very, very different, and that's of course, you know, you want to always be tangential. Um, you know, and then the other piece was just I don't disagree with you about brand. But when I hear brand, I think what most people are thinking in their minds is logos and aesthetics and the website that they're spending half a million dollars on, not what are our core values and then how do we live those each day, which is actually how you build a brand over time. <laughs> that's sticky and matters. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I, I think there's, I mean, we could have a discussion around kind of why there are so many kind of like copycat style venture firms out there. I, I think actually at the end of the day, it comes back to what most LPs are willing to fund, right? And then that comes back to like LP dynamics and incentive mechanisms and, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? I, I think largely the reason why there hasn't been enough innovation in, in the venture model is actually pretty tied to, uh, to, to kind of LPs, um, which is unfortunate. Um, and, and I think there are many people out there doing kind of good work to kind of push on that. So you understand it to some extent, but at the same token, nothing progresses, nothing changes, nothing evolves if you don't push on that and challenge that, right? Like I, I have no doubt that YC in the early days struggled to, to, to raise capital, right? Um, and you struggled to raise capital because, you know, NLP is trying to present this to their investment committee or whatever it is. And, and, and nobody has ever heard of, of YC or nobody has ever heard of this weird new model of venture. You're not going to raise money, right? Whereas if, if you went out and, 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 and you were just doing the same thing that the other person was doing, but just a little bit different or a little bit better, right? It's a, it's a much more sellable uh, type of, 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 of thing. But ultimately, you don't end up building something very durable that way. You just end up building a copycat firm that, you know, inevitably kind of goes by the wayside. Yeah. It's like they make, they, they're another wave that washes up on the beach and then another wave just comes over them and <laughs> you never even knew they existed. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And then the question is like, what do you want to build at the end of the day, right? Like you're trying to build the next YC or you're trying to build just yet another venture fund that's doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. So, yeah. Okay, I want to ask three closing questions. And actually, one of them was about LPs. I mean, you've raised capital from some incredible founders, founders of Tesla, Reddit, Airbnb, Facebook. And you've also worked with a number of incredible founders that you've invested in today. But one of the, you know, especially looking at your background, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, that obviously, you know, you had not raised venture capital fund before. You were doing this, you know, from literally you had to do cross the zero to one chasm. And so I guess the questions I wanted to ask is, what have you learned about raising capital from LPs, good or bad? You talked a little bit about some of the bad. And then two, you know, is there any, if you had to try to point to one thing that is the reason why you had so many incredible founders invest in Contrary, what would that be? Yeah. So I'll start the second one first. I think, I think the second one, uh, it, it, it ultimately comes down to the fact that founders are excited about people doing things differently, right? And I think, you know, when, you know, I mean, founders get asked all the time to invest in funds, right? And they're all just different iterations of the same exact thing, right? And, and so maybe the only reason a founder invests in a traditional seed fund in city X, right? Uh, is because they're friends of the person, right? Whereas I think when you, when, when, you know, we were talking about contrary, right? And what we're doing is pretty fundamentally unique. And I think founders understand that and they, they're excited about that. And they're excited about 
the fact that if this you know, continues to work in the way it has been, you have the potential to build an incredibly special venture firm, right? And, and a venture firm that is around, you know, in, in, in 30, 40, 50, you know, 100 years, whatever it might be, right? And so I think that's number one. And that's what's most attractive for, for I think, a lot of founders. I think in terms of the pros and cons or lessons learned of, of, of raising capital, um, look, I, I, I actually still learn quite a bit every single day. And I think in, in you know, I think I, I've, I've remarked to friends that I feel like every time we raise a new fund, I learn something different, actually. Uh, and I, I learned something different because you're operating and targeting a different type of person or firm throughout that journey, right? So the kinds of LPs that we were talking to for our you know, first fund were very different than our second fund, which were pretty different from our third fund, which will be different from our fourth fund and beyond, right? Um, and, and because you're talking about individuals versus family offices versus you know, endowments versus you know, sovereign wealth funds versus public pension funds, right? And all of these groups have different incentive mechanisms and different reasons for why they invest in something versus not. I think for me, it's just a, a, a constant journey where I'm, I'm kind of like testing myself when it comes to raising capital. I, I mean, I think some of, the, some of the pros are, for me personally, I, I quite enjoy it. You know, I enjoy, I don't enjoy necessarily like the, the operational nuance of it, right? Of like having to follow up and send documents and, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? But I, but I do enjoy kind of telling people about country and our, and our story and what we're building and getting their perspective or thoughts or ideas. Like that is, that is a pretty rewarding uh, piece of, of the job, actually. So I quite enjoy that. And, and I also enjoy, uh, you know, working with a lot of our, our, our partners, right? They're very active collaborators, co-investors alongside us, have great ideas. You know, I mean, our, our LPs are, are, are fantastic. And, it, and it's a cross-section of, of all different kinds of, of groups, right? So I actually quite enjoy that, that part of it. I think when it comes to lessons learned, it goes back to probably what we talked about a little while ago, which is around, you know, optics, right? And, 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 and I think, you know, raising for a fund, um, perhaps slightly different than raising for, for, for a startup um, in many ways. And raising for a fund is a lot more, I think it's just a lot more optics focused at the end of the day, right? You know, uh, who you are, where you came from, you know, where you went to school, companies you've worked at hot companies you've invested in before, like anything that can give you credibility slash can give the person who might want to invest in you air cover is really, really important. And that's kind of like the ugly side, I think, of, of, of fundraising is um, uh, I think kind of sexiness is actually really important in a way that I don't think it should be. I think if, if you, you know, put points on the board, have a really interesting model, have back great companies, you know, have built a good team. Like I think those things much in the same way that it would oftentimes for a startup, like I think that should be what really matters. Um, and more often than not, it's, it's, it's less the case, I think, uh, kind of, you know, raising LP capital. But going back to, our, you know, one of our very first comments, like you just have to play the game. You have to acknowledge it for what it is and, 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 and move on, right? Whether you like it or not. So um yeah, but I, I always find myself learning when it comes to the, you know, firm building and fundraising sides of, of building country. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing so much about what that looks like. 
I, the second question I wanted to ask is, you know, so not only do many of your, L, not only are many of your LPs just incredible founders in their own right, you've also backed incredible founders at Anduril, at, at Varda Space Holdings, um, at uh, a number of other incredible companies. So I'm curious, so the question that I wanted to ask, and I don't know how much of your role allows you to get to spend as much time with founders as you might like, but I, I'm sure over the last six years as you've been building this, you, you've been able to observe quite a bit. And one of the questions I wanted to ask is just very simply, when you watch your best, the best founders in your portfolio operate, what does that look like? And how is that different than maybe founders that are merely, you know, good? Meaning what are the, what are the exceptional founders, I guess, get right? Or what do they do differently? Yeah, I think there are two things. I think number one, there is an unmatched level of obsession that the best founders have. It is all consuming, I think, for, for, for the absolute best founders. Um, they are thinking about it literally 24-7. And, you know, I mean, it was funny. We were, I was catching up with one of our founders recently. And I, my intent for the catch-up was just to catch up, right? Just to, you know, how are you doing personally, right? Like, you know, uh, like, how are you, right? Uh, on, on a very human level. And they just couldn't help but, like, giving me the, like, latest updates in the business. And they had this thing prepared. And they wanted to show me this and that. And they got really into the weeds on, like, unit economics and, and I was like, you know, yes, I'm like, I, I want to know about those things as well, but like, we can, let's also just, let's also just catch up, right? And they're just obsessed, right? And, and I love it. You have to respect it. So I think, I, think, I think that's number one. I think number two is the absolute best founders that we work with have tremendous clarity of thought. And, you know, I, I, I always remember, so one of our founders, uh, Katie at, at Maeve, so it's a, it's a, you know, consumer brand. They're basically building kind of like a, a, a dog wellness brand. And Katie, the founder, she's, she's just phenomenal. And, you know, what, what, what I always remember is, you know, we, we didn't invest in, I think we only invested in one, maybe two direct-to-consumer brands, um, you know, four, five, six years ago. We looked at a ton, right? Uh, and only invested in one or two. And, the, the example I always remember is when we, when we, when we, if you ask a typical like direct to consumer founder at the, at the seed stage about, uh, about like customer acquisition, you know, the typical founder that you might talk to would say something like, yeah, uh, you know, we're just gonna, uh, like we plan to acquire customers through, uh, primarily kind of like Facebook and Instagram ads. And it would be some varnished version of that. You'd ask about customer acquisition costs, this or that, and they'd give you some kind of fluffy answer. But it, you know, that, that was kind of it, right? And I remember when we asked Katie how she was going to acquire her first customer, she was like, I, I absolutely will not be doing any uh, kind of like paid kind of Facebook, uh, you know, Instagram advertising. She said, you know, in fact, like what I'm going to do is do this, right? We're going to, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, right? We're going to, you know, we're starting in New York City, in the specific area of New York City. We're starting with, you know, 28 to 35 year old women who make, you know, north of $150,000 a year have no children. Our exact strategy is to like go and do this, this, this. We're going to go hand out flyers in Washington Square Park from this day at this time. Like the, the level of granularity and nuance that Katie had for every single question that we asked about the business, it, it, was, it just blew your average founder away. And so whether, whether she ended up being right or wrong on the specific kind of you know, aspects of, of, of user acquisition, Honestly, it's not that relevant, right? I think what's, what's more relevant is the level of granularity of, of, of thought that she's applied to every aspect of that business. And it means that she's applying that level of thought to user acquisition, she's applying it to everything. 
Um, and so I think those are kind of the two traits I think that 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 we find that are that are really special. So. I love those two. Okay, last question, and thank you so much for spending so much time uh, with me, Eric. I want to be respectful of your time. For people listening that are like, "Contrary is incredible." How do I get plugged in? Where should people go? And is there a place you send people that's a good starting place? Yeah, indeed. So uh, I think it depends on where you are in your journey, right? So I think if if you're you know uh, a really talented engineer, designer, product person. You know, if you're thinking about working on a company, but you haven't yet, uh, you, know, you should check out our fellowship program, you know, contrary.com slash fellowship. You should apply and become a part of our, our next cohorts. We do two cohorts a year. Uh, that's probably the best way to get on our radar if you're somebody who hasn't yet started a company. If you're in the early innings of, of starting that company, uh, shoot us a note. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're super, super reachable. Uh, it's usually just kind of first, uh, first name at contrary.com and we'll kind of steer you to the right person on the team. And if you're somewhere else in that journey, you know, if you're, if you're in college or you're at your job and you're thinking about, you know, quitting or, you know, you have a research piece that you want to write about, we're all ears. Just shoot us a note and we'll always steer you to the right person. So, um, yeah, that's what I would say. But. Brace your inbox, Eric. <laughs> Just get away right, your email address. Right. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time and this has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. This is great, Daniel.